So that brings us to X-Men number 131, um, which has a cover by John Byrne, Terry Austin, and Gaspar Saladino. Uh, we join Kitty as she is running through her running for her life through the streets of Chicago, chased by the Hellfire Club. Uh, she meets the remaining X-Men and Dazzler, and the five of them save the rest of the team. Uh, I'm really glossing over a lot of this, but it is very cool how she helps them by releasing the other X-Men who are then able to join in the fight, and Emma is presumed dead, and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, Professor Xavier returns Kitty home, uh, which at which point her... Her dad starts ripping Xavier a new one. Um, rightfully so. He's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you you come here and suddenly our daughter's disappeared. And, like, what the fuck do you think you... And suddenly he's just like, he stops. And he's just like, it's so great to see you again. <laughs> like, um... And it turns out that Phoenix has used her powers to alter Carmen's mind, um, which leaves Scott and Aurora really fucking freaked out. So, yeah, that ends that. And it comes on the heels of, during the fight with Emma, Jean goes some places. Like, yeah. Jean... Releases the Phoenix Force, sort of to not to its fullest extent, but she goes a little overboard when she when it comes to quashing Emma. Not near yeah. as bad as we're going to see, but um, the the inklings is there that this is maybe not fully under Jean's control, <clears throat> and uh, also this is a this is kind of a no no for Jean, like right like this has been a we it's the kind of thing that we get indignant over when it, when Xavier does it and mm -hmm. uh at least Xavier is always like well I you know the situation or some some fucking bullshit that he throws at you to make it feel some like justification it, yeah it was needed he had to do it hers her justification is cuz I can and we like need this to be over so we can go home and prepare for the rest of this and yeah. both yeah and that's what scott and gene are just like um what what scott and aurora are just like yeah what why is that okay now that's not okay yeah. um but i don't really want to like confront her about it especially not while we're on this front lawn Okay, we're going home now, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a real harbinger of where we're headed. Um, so X-Men number 132 is edited by Jim Salakrup. The X-Men go to Angel's New, Mexi New Mexico home as Cyclops rightly fears that the mansion is no longer safe. Gene and Scott have a picnic and a quick outdoor fuck. Um, a week later, the X-Men, with Angel's help, uh, infiltrate the Hellfire Club's New York location, 
only to be soundly defeated. Uh, and Wingard's plans for Jean come to fruition as she reveals, or and she stands revealed as the club's new Black Queen. Wolverine, the only Axeman still free, having been plunged through the floors of the building by Harry Leland's uh, gravity powers, prepares to kick some ass. And this, of course, is a this is a classic X-Men panel where Wolverine comes up in the sewers and he's like, okay, you've shown me what you've got. Now prepare to see where, what I'm bringing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a classic moment. It's referenced and homaged constantly. Um, and rightly so, because, you know, prior to now, the only the only out and out like Wolverine straight kills a dude has been that implied one yeah. in the Savage Land issues. Like by and large, Wolverine attacks people with his claws, but they're mostly shown to be okay. Yeah. This is the first time we see Wolverine straight up cut loose and you know, leave people if not dead, at least permanently scarred. Yeah, it's a so. really, really good... Because the beginning of this next issue is just him. We'll go for it. Yeah, I mean, it's... X-Men number 133 starts with Wolverine just cutting through a bunch of Hellfire guards. Um he gets shot up a little bit and we start, you know, we start getting more of his healing factor um being explicit um but he cuts his way through these hellfire guards who eventually will go on to become reavers uh but he makes his way toward the inner circle uh as sebastian shaw details his plans for the captured x-men um he and worries about what wingard has planned and what his ambitions are uh, Cyclops tries to use his new psychic rapport with Jean to free her from Mastermind's control. Um, Mastermind, for his part, has made Jean see the captured X-Men as, like, colonialist um, revolutionaries, and in Aurora's case, a an escape, uh, a rebellious slave, which, oof, Jason, come on, man. That's that's gross. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he goes, he goes and fights Mastermind on the astral plane, loses, and Mastermind seemingly kills him. Uh, at which point, Cyclops cries out and collapses. Um, like I said, I mean, this issue is a a definite sea change in the way Wolverine is handled. We see Wolverine get a lot more violent mm-hmm. um, after this. And uh, in a way that the kid, like I said, the only indication we've had of Wolverine straight killing someone prior to this was an unintentional implication right? Uh, prior to now. So it's a um, much different handling of 
And it's very character defining as well, where it's just like, okay, we just got, I just got my ass handed to me because I was playing it. I was playing nice because the other six were there and they could see me or the other five were there and they could see me and I didn't want to ruffle any fucking feathers, but we're done at this shit now. I am. Yeah. I'm coming back. And like him, a lot of it is imagined, right? Because we're not doing compressed storytelling. So a lot of it is just like panels of him just hanging in the fucking rafters, waiting for guards to come by, indiscriminately murdering them, sounding the alarm on purpose so that more of them will come. Like Mm -hmm. a, a lot of that is kind of implied, but it's, it's, it's still it's still they text. don't show it yeah but it is it is textual <clears throat> as opposed to subtextual wolverine is murdering his way through the hellfire club and in a way that is very cold in action cold and efficient in action and a little quippy he's a little more quippy than i think we'd like right for wolverine at this point but that's still yeah. this this wolverine right yeah um and but it's still like dark jokes about yeah. how he's going to relieve wingard of his arms or whatever right um right it's very it's very wolverine which is yeah. neat okay yeah uh so x-men number 134 has colors by Bob Sharon. Uh, the X-Men get free as Jean is shocked back, back to her senses by Cyclops' psychic quote-unquote death and gets her revenge by reducing Mastermind to a drooling mess. As the X-Men flee and Shaw swears to make them public at enemy number one, Jean succumbs to the darkness within her and the X-Men's jet suddenly explodes. Uh... Not a, not a lot to say. I mean, we are getting more of Jean going wild with her powers in a way that, you know, is not okay by X-Men standards as a general rule. Like the X-Men, the X-Men generally don't go out of their way to leave their enemies vegetables. If that happens, sure. But like... They don't generally just like, ha ha ha, fuck you, and then reduce someone to an to a husk. Yeah. Um Well, and it's uh everybody gets a little off the chain here, too, mm-hmm. because with the exception of like Nightcrawler and Storm, who usually are the two that kind of keep their shit together, um Wolverine something happens to Leland who falls down a floor and then Wolverine just jumps on top of him and Leland freaks out, increases Wolverine's mass by a hundred times and goes, Oh shit. And then it's just claws first through the rest of the building. Um, and damn. Yeah. Meanwhile, like you said, uh, something happens. Cyclops gets distracted by somebody else and it's just Jean and Mastermind. And she un- she unloads the concept of the universe yeah. into his brain. 
and yeah. lets him have it for a second and then takes it away and he's just like his mind is ruined by yeah. the vastness of the whole of the universe and like mm-hmm. that is some sick shit gene you can't yeah. just do that and yeah. uh even if it's uh, even if vengeance this is a bit much my my girl um yeah so i damn i yeah. i really like that 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 uh it is very much a oh oops yeah fucked around and found out <laughs> x-men number 135 has a cover by john byrne terry austin and jim novak uh the x-men survive the explosion but are immediately knocked around by gene who then leaves earth uh while that's happening shaw uses the x-men's attack to convince senator kelly to reactivate the sentinel program and the x-men now with Beast in tow, return to the mansion to figure out a way to stop Dark Phoenix. Uh, Jean, while this is going on, travels to Shi'ar space, destroys a star, killing the people on a planet orbiting it, and destroys a Shi'ar warship before turning her attention back to Earth. I think she kills at least two habited planets. Definitely well, we one. know, we know, <laughs> we know for sure the Dabari's planet is destroyed. Right. Um, we're never, re- all we know for sure is billions die. Yeah. Um, we don't, and we know, we only find out later <laughs> uh, that the planet is called, the planet she destroys is called Dabari. Uh, because one of them shows up during the revolution period around 2000 okay. to uh, get his revenge on Gene. Um, but we on- we honestly have no way of knowing how many planets were orbiting the plan- the star and whether or not they were populated. Uh, at least one of them was. So... And then, yeah, she she winds up on the Shi'ar's radar because of that. And so she destroys a warship as well as several other smaller ones. But the warship is just like, oh, fuck. Um, making the Shi'ar just like, okay, we're going to have to do something about this. Yeah. So. Um, the... Um, X-Men number 136, uh, as everyone absolutely shits themselves at the prospect of Jean Grey returning, she travels to her family's home. She struggles to contain her power and make sense of everything when the X-Men arrive to stop her. Uh, the synaptic scrambler that is built by Beast, uh, fails to stop her. And it's only when Cyclops confronts her that the Professor is able to restore Jean's sanity. As the X-Men recover from the battle and Cyclops proposes, they are abruptly teleported away. Now, uh, in this issue, when Jean is with her family, her father rejects her. Um, Later on, 
although originally Rachel Summers had believed that the assassination of Senator Robert Kelly was the divergence point between Earth 616 and the days of future past, future, uh, by Uncanny X-Men number 199, she realizes that Jean's rejection did not occur in her history, apparently helping her mother to regain control over Dark Phoenix. So, way to go, Dad. You made it so much fucking worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, the looks on Jean's faces, face throughout this, this issue mm-hmm. are terrifying. Like, yeah. she's gone. She yeah. is, it's, it's unhinged power, right? Yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. Also the color, who was the colorist on this? Cause they were fucking kicking ass with her hair. Uh, <coughs> that would be Bob Sharon. Killing it. So, yeah. So that brings us to the big one, which is, uh. X-Men number 137, which has colors by Glynis Ween, and it is and is edited by Jim Salakrup and Louise Jones. Now, before we get into the issue, I do want to talk about Louise Jones, uh, later Louise Simonson. Um, Louise Simonson joins the X-Team uh, with this issue, she will go on to be a huge force within the X offices for the next like 20 years. <laughs> um, she actually, uh, if you look at House of Secrets number 92, the first appearance of Swamp Thing, she was the model for the woman on the cover of the issue. Uh, she was an editor for McFadden, Bartell, and uh, Warren. Before moving to Marvel in January 1980, uh, she began with Uncanny X-Men number 137 and would go on to uh, work on a bunch of books for Marvel, including X-Factor, Power Pack, and a bunch of other stuff, and introduce Apocalypse uh, before she left to work on Superman in 1991. Uh, Now... The issue itself. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about uh, what happens and then we'll talk about other stuff. Um, The Shi'ar, as well as the Korean Skrull, demand that the Phoenix must be destroyed, but they are stalled when the Professor demands a duel of honor between the X-Men and the Shi'ar Imperial Guard. The X-Men rest and prepare for the upcoming battle, debating whether they're willing to fight and die for Jean after everything that's happened. Uh, When the battle begins, though, they all commit themselves to her defense, and they're teleported to the blue area of Earth's moon. Uh, They battle the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, but it does not go their way, and eventually it is only Cyclops and Jean that are left. Cyclops is downed, causing the Phoenix to manifest again and wipe out the entire Imperial Guard. Professor Xavier revives the X-Men, who face her one last time. Jean is able to reassert herself momentarily to say goodbye to Scott, before allowing herself to be destroyed by a cannon hidden there by the Kree long before. The Watcher and the Regellian Recorder discuss the events that they've witnessed. 
Um, there were a few things I want to talk about real quick, and then I want to talk about how great this issue is. So, number one, the Korean Skrull representatives, Raxor and Beldan, uh, that appear in this issue would reappear a number of times before being killed off in the lead-up to the storyline Empire. Uh, now let's talk about how we actually arrived here. Um, the original plan had been that Phoenix was just going to be depowered. Jean would lose her powers, but survive. Um, Jim Shooter was like, are you serious? I mean, she just committed genocide. <laughs> like, that's that's it. She just gets to go back to Earth and survive. And Claremont and Byrne were like, yeah. Um, so what happens is, uh, apparently, Shooter would sign off on every book put out every month. And when he read the original story, he told Claremont that it was way too wimpy. Shooter's opinion was that since Phoenix had literally murdered five billion people, she couldn't just go back and live in upstate New York. Yeah. He pushed for her to wind up at the very least in a Shi'ar jail, an idea that Claremont hated. According to him, the story then just becomes the X-Men trying and failing to break her out or succeeding, and then what? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he storms out of Shooter's office, and Shooter kind of considers it done for the day. Uh, Claremont comes back the next day and says, okay, fine, we're going to kill her. But he was bluffing. He figured <laughs> Jim Shooter would be like, whoa, no, you can't kill Jean Grey. Fine. Have her be depowered. Shooter, however, fucking loved the idea. <laughs> Which Claremont was just like, but you, no, we can't. And Shooter's like, yeah, it's great. Do it. Um, so Claremont is now in the position of having to argue against the thing he just suggested. Um, Shooter says, no, no, it'll be great. Uh, according to Jim Shooter, Claremont <laughs> then left the office uh, and a few minutes later his phone ring or phone rang phone ring uh, his phone rang and it was John Byrne who was like you're gonna kill Gene <laughs> um, so yeah um, I have you know we've always heard about like the Stanley Jack Kirby Marvel office and how tumultuous mm -hmm. and weird that could be. It sounds yeah. like there were a lot of those times though with different actors. And yeah. I, I think this is hilarious. Like yeah. what was it? Uh, for the Transformers comics, they basically dropped all the toys on Hama's desk and were like, by the weekend, if you could. And he's like, wait, what? Um, well, Hama Hama did uh, GI Joe. Oh, okay. Uh, Transformers was largely Bob Budiansky. That's what it is. Um, um, anyway, but like just that wild shit that happens where in yeah. things like this with Claremont going, you know what? I'll fucking get him. 
he'll never kill her. And he goes in, he goes, fine, you know what? Your idea sucks so much, my, and you hate mine, so let's just kill her. Oh man, that'll work. What are you talking? No, no, wait, what? <laughs> what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think the icing that you laid there too is John Byrne calling him and being like, what do you mean we're fucking killing her? What are you talking yeah. about? So like some others, which means that Claremont. Claremont left the office, <laughs> called John Byrne. And he's like, I told him what I said I was going to tell him. And he went for it. We're killing Gene. And John Byrne's like, fucking what? And gets on the phone and calls Jim Shooter. This is what, this is why I love, like, I know that I annoy my wife sometimes by being like, oh, and while all of this was going on, check out this behind. This is why I love the behind the scenes shit. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like all of these, all of, because like one of the things I was, I was watching a video yesterday about Voltron. Okay. Okay. To completely switch gears. Um, Yes. Voltron. The original thing was this American TV executive was wanting to uh, to license these three Toei super robot series. Um, one of which was the vehicle Voltron that everybody hated. There was actually a third one that because of the response to Vehicle Voltron, they abandoned any plans to do anything with that. And then the third was this anime he'd seen that had a super robot with a lion on its chest. Mm -hmm. When it came time to call Toei, he forgot what it was called. And so he said, so I want these two, and then I want the one with the lion robot. Toei thought instead of referring to the one he was referring to, which came out in the late seventies, he wanted the newer one they'd come out with, which was go lion. And Uh, so they're like, okay, send him that, I guess. That was the one that everybody latched onto. That was the one that made Voltron an enduring property. And it was totally an accident. Uh, It's the same. It's this stuff where it's just like, we view so much of pop culture as set in stone. Like this is the way things were always going to be. This was inevitable. Yeah. This was, but so much of it is just like behind the scenes fuckery. Well, it's just like, like, um, I, I don't think you watch much of him, but, uh, Mikey Newman and his, um, film joy series and he has a reoccurring like whenever he does a deeper dive into like how star trek started or something like Mm -hmm. that and like all of the just all of the fuckery that went on behind the scenes of that like go watch those videos they're very good um and he 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 has a refrain that he uses for across his series that is just no one knows what they're doing right and this this Claremont Jim Shooter meeting is exactly that where it's just like no I'm gonna get him and it's like no we're all just large eight-year-olds wandering around crashing into each other and you remember when you were 10 and you would look at adults and be like man they know what they're doing they've got a plan no none of we're just that forever 
(laughs) And that's, that's one thing I always try to impress upon my daughter is just, I know you think when you get to be an adult that you'll know what you're doing. You will not. No. (laughs) Like, no, no, we're all, we're all making it up and we have no idea what we're doing and we're probably fucking up. Yeah. Like, you know, like the best, the best case scenario is that we're fucking up a little. Like, yeah. Anyway, moving on. The uh, so the original issue, as it is, uh, as it was intended, with the ending where she's depowered, does eventually appear in Phoenix: The Untold Story Number One. Um, it's it's interesting to read because it is very like she's put into a thing and Cyclops holds her hand and yada, yada, yada. And then he feels her mind disappear from his. Um, It's very interesting, but what I think is most interesting is number one, reading Phoenix, the untold story. Number one, um, the, the internal monologues that the X-Men have, are different in the original issue. Um, If you read Phoenix, the untold story, the X-Men are all thinking about, oh my God, is this when I die? They're all like, holy shit, am I going to die tomorrow? Yeah. Um, Personally, I like the issue as it came out. Yeah. Because there's a lot more of, while they all decide to stand by Gene... There's a whole lot of doubt. Like, there's a whole lot of the X-Men going, she did kill a whole fucking lot of people. Like, should we just let this happen? And it makes sense from a these characters standpoints that, you know, Hank and Angel are there and they're ride or die. And, like, they kind of waffle. Angel barely waffles at all. Um, Hank at least brings it up and is like, uh, you know, maybe they're right. Like, but in, you know, Cyclops immediately is like, holy fucking shit, Hank. And he's like, no, you misunderstand. I'm here for you. But like, also it's an idea we should consider. Um, I'm here for you. I'm going to do it. But like, that was never a question. It's just, you know. Meanwhile, Storm Storm is also ride or die, but she also is like, hey, how did I get here? What yeah. am I doing here? Um, this is not how I thought life would go. Um, yeah. Maybe there's a little bit of Storm that's like, maybe I could go back to Africa and just go back to being a goddess. No, I don't think that's going to work. I yeah. really like that moment. Where she's yeah. like, could I go back? And she doesn't really answer herself. Right. Um, which is cool. Um, if I remember right, Wolverine's just like, well, yep. Gotta go kill some aliens. <laughs> I'm gonna kill some aliens. May as well get laid first. Um, yeah. And Nightcrawler has the most like, she did do a genocide in his yeah. in his his is much more internal like he's mm-hmm. not like beast who's bringing it up 
to the group. He's right. He's very much like in his room being like, um, and like, if I remember right, like the way that he's framed is he's in, he's lurking in the shadows of the room that he's been provided. Just thinking about it. Or no, he goes to exercise. Yeah. I forget. I'm not looking at the issue. Currently. I am. He goes to exercise and just is is trying to like work it out in his brain while he spins around. Um, yeah. But anyway, all of them have these much more interesting, introspective moments. Right. Instead of that are that is that I I agree with you are so much better than holy shit, holy shit, holy shit, just having a panic attack. Right. Because like are we going to die is a thing that they've been wrestling with their entire time. So that's, right. that's it's, not it's as standard superhero stuff. Well, like, it's standard X-Men stuff. You left the house today. Yeah. So you knew what you were doing. Um, right. uh, yeah. I, I, you didn't think it was going to be like this on the yeah. moon, but like it could have been anything. Um, all th- and all six of you, well, the new X-Men and Scott and Gene have lost someone still relatively-ish recently. Yeah. Like, in the line of being an X-Men. And, yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, God, this is, it is a really, really good issue. It because is. you get all of that, like, cool introspection stuff, and then the fight is so good yeah you get you get the introspection you get the big battle you get the big ending to the dark phoenix saga um couple of other things i want to talk about there there is a there is a there is a point in this where once every once all of the other x-men are defeated and it's just Cyclops and Jean, and they are now facing down the entire Imperial Guard. Um, it then switches to the up in space, the Shi'ar flagship. And... In the original comic, this is done because we do not see, in the original version of things, we do not see Cyclops and Jean be defeated. They The Shi'ar just say, okay, it's over. And then we see the X-Men again when Jean is being depowered. This point is the point where we switch over to the new ending. And I actually really love this because... What we end up seeing is we never see Cyclops go down. We are told about it. And the way in which we are told is we switch back to the scene above the moon. We see the flagship, we see inside, and one of the one of the technicians on the flagship is like, uh we got spiking readings. Shit is happening. And then we go back down to where on the surface and we find out Cyclops has fallen 
and seeing Cyclops fall has had the opposite effect as it did when she was under Mastermind's control. And it makes Phoenix break. And she powers back up and she destroys. Like, they all survive, by and large, but she destroys the, the Imperial Guard. And it is, I think, in a, a much more effective moment uh, than if we had stayed with the X-Men the entire time. Uh, because it is. We're just, we're just like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. And then it switches out and it's just like, um, ma'am? Huh? Empress? Like, you know. It's a lot more effective, I think, for than if we were to see Cyclops fall. And if we were to see Phoenix, we're just like, oh fuck, what's going on? And then it's like, oh no. Um... I do think, so, talking about this in retrospect, um, it is hard to, it is hard to really know how I'm going to feel about this, (laughs) you know, because it's hard to completely divorce myself from the fact that I know what happens. I knew the first time I ever read this, I was like, I know Gene comes back. It turns out Phoenix was a separate entity, yada, yada, yada. I knew all of that the first time I ever read this. Mm-hmm. So it is hard to know exactly how I would feel about it cold. What I will say is I think that Phoenix being a separate entity undercuts Gene's death. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because it kind of invalidates a lot of it, but her kind of fighting her way back to the surface for a moment and killing herself rather than allow this thing to consume her mm-hmm. is, I think, a lot more effective than the Phoenix fell in love with Scott and wound up sacrificing himself and yada yada. Leaving aside the fact that now fucking everybody's been the Phoenix, it also just makes it a lot less interesting, I think. So I think it's much more interesting if the Phoenix is an entity, yes, that inhabits the human host, yes, and like that can happen, but then she, she, Jean, is really there and really fights her way through back up to the surface, like you said, to talk to Scott one more time and tell well, her... Well, I think, I think there shouldn't be a phoenix, but... Oh, well, okay. I think that's okay. <laughs> that part doesn't bother me. Um, but, like, she fights back up to control, talks to Scott one more time, and then lets herself get shot in the back. That is way more effective. And that's, that's my reading of it. Um, and that's why, you know, in a couple of years here, when she comes back and the reasons are so weird, right. Mm. And difficult to parse for so long. And eventually they just go ignore a lot of that. It's (laughs) too hard. Um, that, okay, cool. So that when she dies the next time. It isn't as effective because now, well, it isn't until she dies the third time or so that you're just like, okay, yep, Jean dies a lot, I guess. Um, yeah. 
How are they going to bring her back? Well, I just, you know, I think that I think that making making the Phoenix be the ultimate expression of Jean's powers uh, and having her her lose herself in that is, I think, a lot more compelling than having it be a separate entity. Um, and, you know, I, I feel the same way about Parallax on the DC side. Like, if you're going to <sighs> have, right. if you're going to have a character become a villain, have them become a villain. And if you're going to reform them after the fact, you don't get the easy path out. You don't get, I don't think it should be, oh no, I was just being controlled. And yeah. So, um, and that's kind of why I like what they did with Quicksilver after, uh, all of the son of M shit and him going completely off the rails Uh is I kind of like that he was using like, oh no, that wasn't actually me as like a cover. And, and it's just like, no, it was fucking him. But anyway, moving on, uh, the, the upshot of all of this is it's a classic story and it's deservedly classic. Yeah. However much I may feel it kind of gets undercut after the fact. Um, I think, and especially now that I know that Claremont was so completely against bringing her back, but whatever i think it's in a vacuum you know as an end of end for gene gray Mm -hmm. this is extremely effective and good um you know given all the x-men up to this point this is really fucking good x-men um and you know we will get good x-men again that does not involve gene gray um and I think the fallout of this, I just, I'm remembering, I'm looking at the uh, the cover for 138, and I'm like, oh yeah, that cover's fucking iconic. It's yeah. awesome. It's it's almost constantly, again. Like, it's, it's the better, ver- okay, it's the better version of the Leaves the Spider-Man suit, or Spider-Man No More cover. Yeah. Um, It's the better version of that, of the ripoff of that. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. And uh, I am excited to see, you know, we're going to get a lot more Storm in a leader- leadership position, like stuff like that. That's great. Yeah. Um, neat. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to to get into some of the stuff that comes after this. So. All right, so uh, now we switch gears to Fantastic Four number 215, which has a cover by Ron Wilson and Joe Rubenstein, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Marv Wolfman and Jim Shooter. The Fantastic Four assist Reed's friend Randolph Jones in an ex- or James in an experiment that ends badly. Uh, and while that's happening, Blastar is able to escape from the negative zone. While the Fantastic Four run off to deal with the escaped villain, James is attacked by a bunch of punch- punks 
which causes him to use his experimental evolutionary accelerator to transform himself. When Reed arrives, James agrees to go with him, but not before transforming the punks into a bunch of mice. So once again, we have another, like, ooh, I'm so super evolved. Like, I don't know why it is that every time somebody becomes super evolved, they're kind of an asshole. Like, yeah, I think that's the implication, right? But I, it would be much more interesting if there was just just enough left of James that uh, he was a vindictive prick. Yeah, like but if, it just seems was... like every time. Oh, yeah, you know? no, no, no. I'm saying that that's the thing here, where it's not... It isn't attributed to any of the... Because he immediately is like, oh, no, I'm beyond all of that now. I am just a human. Or I am beyond human uh, cares or any of that. I have, we've, you know, I've moved past that. I no longer care about it. And then he looks out the window and sees the, the guys coming back. And he's just like... I mean, I am above it, but mice. <laughs> like, yeah. you, if there was something in him that was, like, remnants of James that were informing his, this being a dick, uh, that would be one thing. But no, like you say, it's just, well, they're always kind of assholes. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to me that one of two things happens when somebody evolves in comics they are either dicks yeah or they're just like i no longer give a shit about anything and they just fuck off immediately yeah and it's the other one that's a little more understandable to me like if well you, if you evolve yourself past the point of uh you know humanity uh immediately fucking off into space to go see what else or see how the universe was created or whatever makes more sense um well to me it's for like me this is a this guy stopped before stopped evolving himself before he turned it into a being of pure energy and fucked off this yeah. is like one more step my my thing is i would like to think maybe i'm wrong i would like to think that I probably wouldn't hang around for a long time mm -hmm. after I'd evolved because, yeah, it would probably just be like, wow, you all are petty as fuck, man. Yeah. Like, but, but I like to think I would at least solve a couple of things before, like I would, the, my better name, if I'm, if I'm truly evolved. Yeah. If I have truly become a better being, yeah. then I like to think I would at the very least just like, you know, if it were if it were about making sure that those punks didn't hurt anybody else more than it was about just getting back at them for fucking me up, I would make them not attack anybody else without turning them like i would fix the thing that causes them to attack people yeah instead of being a vindictive prick you know yeah but or, every time it's you know just on the like, way out is just is just like hey reed um just so you know this is how, how you solve scarcity thanks 
I'll talk to you later. And or just snap my fingers and solve scarcity. Like <laughs> yeah. you have the power to turn human beings into mice. Just like A solve scarcity. B solve the thing in humanity that makes them try to make shit that isn't scarce scarce. Yeah. Like get rid of greed, solve scarcity. Okay. Done. Go, go, have fun. I might go create something out in space. Like, no, can I, can I give you one more thing? What? So solve greed, solve scarcity. Everyone gets a ski-doo. Bye. (laughs) I mean, there's probably more that I, I feel like I would probably like, oh yeah, by the way, disease no longer exists. Uh, you know, things like that. Like. I've carefully. I, I do I, yeah, a few things. I took half a second, carefully curated all of the good and bad bacteria <laughs> on planet Earth. Um, I have eradicated all the bad bacteria. Um, their viruses are gone. I just I, that was easy. That was thing one. Um, and uh, then I, um, yeah, curated bacteria. So your guts didn't just explode. Right. Right. Um, and uh, now there is no more disease. Um, as long as you guys keep the place fucking clean-ish, none of those bacteria should mutate too badly that you won't be able to handle it. There you go. Um, and uh, yeah, so everybody has enough food. And I thought um, I fixed the energy problem, so that's I not an issue. I fixed the environment. Yeah, I removed. I brought dodos back. <laughs> like I remove. I. You know, carbon capture isn't actually feasible on a human level, but I'm not human, so I just grabbed a bunch out of the atmosphere and threw it into the moon. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Oh, fuck. I, uh, I fucked up the moon, so better fix that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. That, like, if you can just snap your fingers and turn people into mice, there are other things you could be doing with your time. Yeah. But it's all that's always what they do. They're just like, I have evolved beyond human concerns, but not beyond revenge. <laughs> yeah, I have beyond human, petty human concerns, except I am going to be a bit petty here. Here, mice. Yeah. Uh, Moving on. So, you know, <laughs> I just I and it's always funny, like it never it. It always stops with, like, the dudes who beat the shit out of them. But I've known people that if they were in this situation, it would be like, and I got revenge on the person who spelled my name wrong at Starbucks that time. And I got revenge on the person who called me a prick when I wouldn't open the door for them. And I got revenge on the, like, you know, all of the petty slights. Not just beating the shit out of them, but also just, like, this person was kind of mean to me that one time, so yeah, they're sterile. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Fantastic Four number 216 has a cover by Rich Buckler and Al Milgram, written by Marv Wolfman and Bill Mantlo, inked by Pablo Marcos, lettered by Irving Watnabi and Michael Higgins, edited by Mark Gruenwald. The evolved Randolph James is, despite being so evolved, manipulated into attacking the Fantastic Four by Blastar. However, Blastar is forced back into the negative zone by Franklin, and James is like, okay, time for me to move on and do evolved stuff. 
And once again, they always, every time somebody evolves in comics, I understand that there's a little bit of like, whoa, fuck, what's going on? But not only are they petty, they're like a newborn baby. And it's just like, they're incredibly credulous. Anyone they come across who's just like, Uh hey, uh, you should do the thing I want you to do. They're just like, boy, okay. Whatever. Um, so yeah, that is, that story was nowhere, but, uh, fantastic four number two seventeen has a cover by Joe Sinnott and Gaspar Saladino inked by uh. Joe Sinnott, colored by Bob Sharon, lettered by John Costanza, edited by Mark Gruenwald and Mori Kuramoto. Uh, I will say, uh, Mori Kuramoto, there was, there was a thing that was passed around Twitter recently regarding Mori Mori Kuramoto. Um, Larry Hama uh, passed this around back on the 7th. Um, He said, every year on this day, the old hands in the Marvel bullpen would rag supposedly good-natured Morris Kuramoto about dive-bombing Pearl Harbor. I've heard many a bullpenner remark about what a good sport about he was about it. It wasn't until after he passed that they found out he was a vet of the 442nd Infantry Combat Team and that he slogged through Italy, France, and Germany with one of the most decorated units in World War II. He never talked about his combat experience while his family was locked behind barbed wire, nor did he complain about the discrimination he faced before and after the war. Put yourself in his shoes and then re-examine your privilege quotient. Um, which, yeah, the, the Marvel bullpen was perhaps somewhat progressive for the time, but that doesn't mean it was perfect. And that is a perfect example of that. So don't be racist. Like, just don't be a racist piece of shit. Moving on, uh, Herbie is evil. <sighs> Dr. Sun is revealed to have been controlling Herbie, and Herbie is able to reassert his, himself long enough to destroy Dr. Sun. Uh, at the end of it all, Thing is forced to admit that Herbie wasn't complete garbage. Sound good? Yep. All right. We get a brief Ex- dazzler in there. Where yeah. she's rad because she's getting hit on by some drunk, and uh, Johnny's like, "I'll go up and be Johnny and get rid of this guy." And she's like, "Thanks, I didn't ask for that. Go away." And yeah. he's like, "What? Oh, okay. Yep. Don't be a prick, Johnny. <laughs> Too late." X-Men number 138 has a cover by John Byrne and Terry Austin. Once again, like we said, one of the great all-time X-Men covers and is edited by Louise Jones. Uh, As the X-Men gather to mourn Jean Grey, Cyclops reflects on literally every moment of his career with the X-Men 
and his relationship with Jean. Uh, after he is, he offers his condolences to the Gray family. He informs his teammates that he's leaving, and they all wish him well. And at the end of the issue, Kitty Pride arrives at the school and sits waiting for them to return. Uh, yeah. So we will, of course, continue to follow Cyclops. Uh, after he leaves, we'll get all of the Madeline Pryor stuff and yada, yada, yada. Like, this is by no means the end of Cyclops in this book, obviously. But even for a while, we still we still see him. Yeah. So. Uh, our last issue this week is Fantastic Four Annual Number 14, which has a cover by Joe Sinnott and Irving Watanabe, written by Marv Wolfman, Penciled by George Perez, inked by Pablo Marcos, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by Jim Novak, and edited by Marv Wolfman. When the Fantastic Four take down Sandman, they return to the Baxter building and are greeted by Agatha Harkness, who invites them back to New Salem for a yearly ritual. However, the ritual is interrupted by the Salem Seven, who who attempt to bring back Agatha's son, Nicholas Scratch, but they are thwarted by Franklin and Agatha. whoop de fucking do Yeah. I don't really have anything to say about it. A lot of Franklin. Whole lot of Franklin this week. Uh, you know, and when you're reading Fantastic Four, I guess that's to be expected. Franklin is one of those characters that I'm just like, yeah, okay. Franklin's there, of course he is. Whatever. I, <laughs> you know. Franklin, you know, we were just talking about how, you know, everybody gets gets it wrong about Dazzler or, you know, being a little more charitable to Kitty Pride, And I'm going, having had that conversation, I'm going to try to start being nicer about Franklin because... Clearly, I need to, like, at least give it a shot. Um, because, yeah, I kind of thought Dazzler was was silly until we reread these issues. And I was like, well, you know what? That character could be fun. And same yeah. with Kitty. I thought Kitty was handled really well um, throughout that story. Or the beginning of that so- or the, that run. Yeah. Um, and I know that I like Kitty come you know off and on throughout x-men history um i like her a lot in marauders i thought um that run of x-men with the unfortunate writer uh that she ends up phasing a bullet through the earth joss whedon yeah um i wasn't gonna say his name oh (laughs) is uh the character's really cool in that run, um, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And her relationship with Colossus is really neat. So I'm looking forward to that, especially since, you know, Storm's going to have a much more leadership role and what that's going to mean for her relationship with Kitty and, like, how Kitty puts up with all this shit. It's very different, and it very much is a an example a good example of the way that you were talking earlier that claremont's plan was 
sort of a rotating cast every other year. Um, a much looser definition of team um, than even defenders and like what that means. Uh, I think this is a good place to start for that. Um, all of that to say, yeah, I'm going to try to be nicer about Franklin, even though he annoys me. I Well, and you know, looking ahead to Storm and Kitty's relationship, you know, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to look at like when Storm when Storm goes kind of punk and Kitty flips the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Um because she could like she's so used to Storm being a certain way Mm -hmm. and you know and it is it's comparable to the way a child reacts when their parents change in any way shape or form like it it feels like such a massive betrayal and so we start seeing the laying of that groundwork in that relationship that becomes such a driving force in a lot of their interactions and you know, it's it really is. I mean, to this day, even though Kate is an adult, um, I think it's still. I don't know that I would say they're equals as such. You know, there's always going to be a certain power dynamic there. Um, yeah, um, that is built from a relationship, right? Yeah. So she's, and even in Marauders recently, you know, th- there were some times where it was like, Kitty, you're, you're just, or Kitty, Kate, you're just doing this to like a little bit of rebellion against, you know, Storm too, because she's mm-hmm. part of the inner circle that's, you know, and you're clearly cut left out, even though, in a very literal way, you have been left out of Krakoa. Right. And uh, that pisses you off. And even though Storm's, like, trying her best, you're still going to push back a little. And I think that's neat. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's the, once again, going back to the parent dynamic, you know... It's the kind of thing of even once you're an adult, when you're dealing with your parents, there's mm-hmm. still there is still that they're the father, they're the mother, whatever. Even though you are an adult, I mean, I'm I'm fucking turning forty this year, and I'm still in that situa- situation at times, and it's just it is what it is. Yeah. So, anyway. Top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top five. Okay, from me, number five. I'm doing a combo. They happened in different ep- issues, but I don't care. Both Kitty and Dazzler. Just because right. they were handled so well um, as introductions and... I really got, like, a clear understanding of Dazzler, for sure. And, like, Mm -hmm. Kitty gave me just enough to be like, she's an adorable, precocious kid, you know, like that. 
So there's a lot of room to build with Kitty. And uh, they're... But she's also, like, fiercely independent throughout most of the... Before the X-Men showed up, or Emma, whoever got there first, um, she's, like, talking to her mom and, like, I have this headache again and all that other stuff. Like, it's really good. Um, yeah. Number four is the the oh shit Wolverine panel where mm-hmm. you're just, like, at the end of that issue where everybody gets their asses kicked and he's just like, okay, cool. Now it's my turn and I'm coming up from below. Uh, it's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, number three is uh gene blew up a fucking star Mm -hmm. she ate it she ate a star that's it uh number two is gene (laughs) unleashing the vastness of the universe inside jason wingard yeah exposing his brain to his mind to what that is and leaving him on pinned to the wall just gone routed yeah Oof. um and then my number 1 is the introspection the quiet introspection of the x-men the night before because holy shit everybody does a really good job i cannot believe you're telling me that that almost got cut because it's it's seriously some of the best character work. Yeah. In like period. It's awesome. Like yeah. I get I get an inner look at everybody dealing with something, dealing with a question that's incredibly complex. This is one of our Well, best, yeah. This is one yeah. of our best friends. We want to defend and they're them. a super Hitler. <laughs> like Yeah, and they did a genocide. Like Yeah. We, I I love Hank coming through and just being like, I don't really, I know this isn't going to be a popular opinion, uh, but like she did do a genocide, guys, and Cyclops laying into him and Hank being like, look, no, I'm gonna be here, but like we have to confront that at some point mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. this goes. If this goes through and we all get through it, that's still a thing that happened. Yeah. And I like that one of the characters said that out loud to everybody and was like, yeah. this, it's a thing we're going to have to deal with. If it doesn't get dealt with tomorrow, it's still a thing. Um, and that's it, incredibly responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it needed said, which is fantastic. Um, yeah anyway so that's me i'm done well by and large yeah (laughs) agreed um i have an honorable mention just because like like i was telling you i feel bad that my entire top five is x-men but given that that's most of what we read this week and it's fucking dark Phoenix. I don't think I can be blamed for that. No, I definitely uh, didn't care. Mine were all <laughs> X-Men and yeah. that's because my other option was fantastic four. And my, I have on record that 
Fantastic Four and I don't exactly get on. Well, and even even ignoring that, this isn't. There's nothing here that's like the best of Fantastic Four. Well, like I I like, assume there's Fantastic Four out there that can stand up against this against Dark Phoenix. Yeah, like if you put them side yeah. by side, there is that stuff. Mm-hmm. This was not it, and therefore did not garner as much of my attention. Right. Anyway, sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, so my honorable mention is, I'm evolved, but not that evolved. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was on my list because I, I too felt bad about how only writing down X-Men stuff. So I was like, let me get something in here. And then I was yeah. just like, nah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I just had to make sure that was mentioned. Um, so number five uh, is Kitty and Dazzler's introductions. Uh, this is one thing that I, you know, like I've like I've said, I I kind of had a falling out with Claremont. <laughs> um, but one thing he does really well, especially in this period is juggling multiple plot threads and you know it it comes across really well in that he splits the team and they each have a thing that they're doing and then he brings them back together and it all just works and you know the it would have been very easy especially given the dazzler was kind of an editorial decision here right right uh for him to skimp on the dazzler side of things but it was good so i agree especially given the history that you taught me that him just being like we're doing a record fucking deal what the shit is that fine whatever i'll put her in and yeah that's all it was right or she only showed up in the fantastic four that we read and like that was and it could have been that that could have been it but instead, Claremont does the... He goes like, well, fine. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. Do the work. Give yeah. her a personality. She d- He did. And uh, let's get her in the book. Let's get her in the story. And yeah. even at the end when she when Xavier's like, you know... Uh, what is her actual name? Allison. Allison. You know, Allison, if you wanted to, uh, you could... You can't... The offer's still open. You can come back to the the mansion with us if you don't have like a place to crash and she's like no thanks though i really yeah. appreciate it i see what you guys are up to it's not really my bag and yeah. he, to his credit xavier for once is like well you are an adult goodbye <laughs> yeah. like anyway i will uh, not manipulate you into doing this because i want it for you yeah uh so the shit sorry (laughs) i look number four um is uh the cutaway when it's down to just cyclops and gene because i know that that was not the way things were intended to go as such but it was an incredibly effective moment however accidental it may have been uh yeah, just real good. Yeah. Um, number three, uh, Wolverine. I mean, the. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be reading this 
you know, in the at the end of 1970, beginning of 1980, and Wolverine has been kind of held in it like we've been we've been told, oh, this is a dangerous guy. This is a dangerous guy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but seeing how much he's been holding back through all of this and seeing him cut loose for the first time, I can't imagine what that must have been. Because again, you know, well, it must have been incredibly frustrating, right? Yeah. For up until this and then this being a release and him just mm. going fucking the man has knives on his hands, right? Yeah. Like, what are we doing pulling punches with the guy who has an attitude problem and knives on his hands? Like, yeah. we we finally get him to just be like, okay, cool. I'm not playing, I'm not playing older brother to Petey or any of that shit. Right. It's, it's time to kick ass and go save right. some people. And, like, that's rad. Yeah. Well, I just... You know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, yeah, like having it having it be, you know, we're in this situation where we're constantly being told, yeah, what Wolverine is, mm-hmm. um, but actually, actually seeing him go full blown sick house on these guys. <laughs> And, you know, yeah, like, knowing that even those that survive do not walk away unscathed. Yeah. Um, you know, that they lost large chunks of their bodies. I, I definitely, um, like, there is a, you know, there, there, there are camera pans where that we don't see in this book where there's just a leg. Yeah. Whose leg? I don't know. Cause there's no body. There's yeah. just a leg. Yeah. And maybe another, you know, the camera keeps moving and there's just a, a hand. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Like just people's lives being cut short or profoundly altered, uh, altered because, they were between him and and again this is one of those things that when i started reading comics that was commonplace but to go back and to see it go from yeah okay like wolverine cuts a guy's shirt or whatever you know to oh it's a goddamn people blender in that <laughs> in that basement. Like, well, that's because, and it's like, oh, and it's very much like the tease at the end of that issue with that with him in the sewer looking up and being like, now you get to see, now it's my turn. Um, is that is a really good tease because mm-hmm. we have been told what he's like when he's not on a, not on a leash. Right. Right. And his leash is currently upstairs, shackled and blindfolded. Like, yeah. Um, oh no. Like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, fuck. Uh, number two is the X Men sitting around going, uh, Are we doing this? Are I. Fuck, like you know. I, I, well, no, I I love the the fact that that's why it's my number one is just the 
I mean, we're doing this. But should we be doing this? Like, we're definitely yeah. doing it. Absolutely. But, oh, God. Why? <laughs> it's a it's a really good well, series yeah, of pages. The, the, reali- the realization of, I am doing this because I'm ride or die. I'm not doing this because it's the right thing. I'm not doing this. It's the right thing for me to do out of loyalty. Yeah. But it is not the objectively like right thing. This is if a villain were guilty of genocide, we would not be fighting on their behalf. Yeah. If this was Magneto, no one, you know, we're not fighting on behalf of Magneto. If Magneto went and just, you know, destroyed a city in, in Shi'ar territory and then the Shi'ar came and claimed him, even Xavier's going to be like, well, sorry, bud. Um, Sucks for you. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, you were my brother, but, uh, like, you killed a bunch of Shi'ar. Yeah. My yeah. hands are sort of, you sort of tied my hands here. Whereas, yeah, it's a much more complex thing when it's Gene. Yeah. Um, and I think that's cool. Yeah. So, um, and the number one, I just, I put Phoenix, uh, just because I don't like, I don't know. Just this whole thing is so fucking good. Yeah. I, there is, there is a tendency to go back and look at classic stories, whether it's a movie, a book, you know, whatever. And you hear it hyped up so much um, that when you then go back and actually look at it, it's very easy to just be like, yeah, but man, like this is, this is really fucking good. Like, I think it's made our appreciation of it is deepened by the fact that we've read so much of the stuff that came before it. Right. And the groundwork and some of the context that isn't implicitly in the story. Um, but like still, holy shit, it's good. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, Chris Claremont could have written this and then just been like, well, it's not going to get better than that, (laughs) you know, but he proceeds to write it for the next 20 goddamn years. Uh, yeah. Fuck. So there you go. That's, that's my wrap up for this week is just fuck. Yeah. Anyway, uh, join us next week. We'll be reading... Some more Micronauts and a whole bunch of Avengers-related stuff. We've got some Cap, some Iron Man, some Avengers, and then a Marvel Spotlight starring uh, Captain Marvel. So, you know, but like I said, we're into Avengers as well. Um, In the meantime, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Email us at watchersguide at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, both individually and at Watchers Guide MU. 
and visit our website at watchersguide.com where you can download episodes of the show and see all of the reading lists going back to the very first episode. Have a marvelous week. Bye.